Welcome, greetings, greetings, everyone, to another Chief Yuya podcast. We are now at uh, our 74th episode of uh, this experience, and we're going to get into somewhat of a, a follow-up from our last few segments. If you remember our 73rd segment, we dealt with wisdom, or seeking with wisdom, rather, and um, the 72nd. We dealt with the foundations of African thought, and the uh, 71st was the woman king, and the 70th was, of course, uh, new life, right? And before that, the 69th was the Ruach. So from the Ruach, really, to this one, the 73rd, there's been a consistent strain of thought, of course, and really examining and paying attention to how we're viewing things and the recipes that we may need for the management of ourselves and most importantly to remove any sort of paralyzation that we may have when it comes to taking right action, uh, what right action really looks like, all of the different parts of us that we need to have input from and, um, you know, just different ways to run our, our lives and to get out of the fantasy and to get into a more uh, practical plan which, of course, may manifest a fantasy, of course, right? So in this segment, I wanted to get into our ability to actually make things happen through our potential of completion <laughs> and our potential of, of following through, you know, which I think is a, is a very big one for a lot of us. Some of us, we get really stuck in our heads and, you know, we may not, achieve the things that we would like to achieve or we just get overwhelmed by our own personal options. You know, there's just so many different things that we can do and that we may have the talent and the, uh, the potential for, and that alone becomes extremely overwhelming. All right. So I wanted to get into that a bit and just maybe give you some, some tools that you can use to help you get things done. I think it's it's sort of appropriate because we're coming to a, a close pretty soon of another Gregorian. And as many people do, they say, okay, this year I'm going to do this. Last year I did that. You know, and maybe there's even an assessment towards the end of, you know, the 12-month period. Like, okay, what did I, what did I accomplish? What did I not accomplish? And how do I go about managing you know, fulfilling what I need to going forward, right? So it's a good opportunity for us to start to put our our mental faculties in order and to look at our situations, you know, versus our circumstances and maybe how we can structure things a little better. So what I want to pull from is uh, a, a law codex. And um, like some of you may be familiar with the Code of Hammurabi, and, uh, of course, that being a, a law that, that precedes, I guess, what someone may consider like, um, biblical law, if they were to go by the, uh, the Old Testament, you know, and, um, there are some that imagine that that is, you know, as far back as we can go, but we can go so much further, you know, um, it's interesting when you start to study 
different texts and you study your history in a, in a comparative way, you just start to realize um, how new some of the things are that are put in front of us, you know, and we're just sort of told to accept one's definition of what antiquity antiquity is. You know, like I say this is ancient because maybe it's ancient to my people, so it's going to be ancient to you too, <laughs> you know. So the Code of Hammurabi takes you back about, you know, 1700 B.C., you know, around that, that area. And, you know, it was a code that or a set of laws that primarily dealt with commerce. There was, it dealt with commerce and marriage, but, um, they're, they're pretty much one and the same when you understand the sciences of marriage and, and, um, and commerce. Um, so that's, that's one code that sometimes we look at and, you know, I guess with fascination, if you will. But prior to the, the code of, of Hammurabi, and for anybody wanting to catch up on their, their, um, ancient languages, Hamu, uh, means family and Rabu or Rapi means great. So, um, Hammurabi was considered to be descendant from, or, or just to be great family, you know, but there's, there's even a, a deeper science to that, that we are slowly easing ourselves into, right? So prior to that code, we also had the code of Ur-Namu. And the code of Ur-Namu, this was found, um, you know, so many things, of course, that we find are found on stone, you know, things that are, are carved into stone. And, you know, the code of, of, of Ur-Namu Ernamu was an actual person. Ernamu was a king. And um there's some debate if whether he created the codes or his son created the codes, but regardless, it still comes under the same the same line, if you will. But it's it's like three hundred and something years older than the uh the code of Hammurabi. You know, so the thing about it you know, it, it allows for a certain understanding of old Babylonian uh, culture and most importantly, Mesopotamian culture. You know, these are cultures that precede a lot of the other ones that we that are put in front of us and told, are, well, this is the root. This is where you begin, which is. It's just inaccurate, <laughs> you know, so one of the things that you find and this is all we're still dealing with how we get things done, right? We We haven't removed from that, removed ourselves from that. One of the things that's um, pretty interesting is that with these ancient codes that you'll find, whether it be Ur-Namu or whether it be the Code of Hammurabi, there's always a, there's always a prologue that's almost like an, uh, a spiritual invocation. You know, like there's always this, uh, there's a telling of who who's bringing this law and what they've achieved among their people and most importantly, their divine connection. So it's understood that the ruling class has this certain particular connection, usually genetic through people who would be considered deities, you know? So like when you read, and I'm not going to give the whole prologue to um, the code of Ur-Namu, but one of the things that you you'll see in there is that it says after on and in Lil, had turned over 
the kingship of Ur to Nana. At that time did Ur Namu, son born of Ninsun, for his beloved mother who bore him in accordance with his principles of equity and truth. Right? So there's an, there's an understanding that rulership is handed over by these deities, right? It's, it's, it's not just, um, someone who pops up and says, okay, call me king or whatever. So like we hear, we, we have a connection there with Enlil. And Enlil, if, if we'll go through, um, our Sumerian and our, our Akkadian archetypes at some point, those inside of our new, you know, the, these, these names are familiar. They're familiar with because we speak about, well, the Anu. <laughs> we speak about these, these earlier, um, sky people, if you will. So Enlil was the second son of Anu. And so Anu being the, the entity or the, the, the sky person that existed before all of the other ones. Right. So that you could imagine that as being like the highest God. So then from, you know, Anu came Abzu and Tiamat and then Abzu and Tiamat, you know, being fresh water and salt water, then created these other archetypes. Right. So, again, we'll we'll share more of that story, you know, maybe maybe at another time. But, you know, I don't want to take us too far from what we're we're speaking about here with the code. But. Nonetheless, um, if you again read the, the prologue, you know, and of course it said on and in Lil, excuse me. So I, I left out on. And again, like I, I told you who on, on is Anu, the, the king of all of the Anunnaki and Anunnaki are those who, those sky people who came from earth. You have Anu, which are the people who are above or in heaven and key means earth. Right. So again, just, just the understanding here is that rulership is, is given, is handed over from divinity. So the laws and the codes that you keep, your principles, your integrity, you know, your honor, the, the, the way that you deal with people, whether it be your business dealings, how you deal with taxes, you know, how you deal with your family, how you deal with your financial management, um, so forth and so on, how you plan things. These, these things should be based around rules and codes that are given to you by your highest archetypes or your highest deities or your creators or your makers, right? There's so many different ways to, to explain that one. But again, that's a, that's a, that's another conversation. So Namu was one who, was cited or Ernamu, excuse me, one who was cited to bring a certain level of balance to his region, which is, which is a little tricky because Namu was deified after his death by his son, but he was actually killed in battle. Um, it's, it's a, his army deserted him and then his enemies caught him. So he wasn't actually given the honors that most rulership would have been given upon his death, right? That was done um, afterwards. So there's, there's, a, there's a little thing to that too. But nonetheless, we have a prologue before these codes, the code of, of Ernamu. And, you know, the prologue tells us 
you know, he was able to standardize the shekel, you know, um, he was able to use bronze and sila as a, a bronze sila as a measure. And he standardized the mina. These, these are all different, um, uh, uh, measurements of, of, of currency, right? And he came in and standardized them. Um, one of the things that he did was he was able to set a standard monthly temple expenses, you know, and so the temple under his reign, the temples received, uh, 30 sheeps every month, uh, 30 silas of butter and 90 gur of, of barley. So it, it, you know, when you read the prologue, it explains like these are the things that he was able to accomplish outside of just giving us a bunch of laws. So the laws and the codes make sense based on the value that he brought to the community. And before we even speak about the value to the community, rulership was given to his family line through our gods. Right. So. I know that seems like a lot for just one thing we're talking about, but sometimes we tell ourselves that we want to do certain things or we're told we need to do certain things. But unfortunately, we don't really have any real internal compulsion to do it. You know, we don't really have anything that that kind of links us in and says that this is important. Like it's important to be honorable. It's important not to lie. You know, it's, it's, it's important to deal with people in a fair and just way, you know, because we don't understand that that code of doing is divine. It's not just something that someone just came up with. I mean, sometimes it is depending on if, how you study, if you don't study, you know, someone says, yeah, just get up and pledge allegiance. Or when you, when you see a cop, you just give them authority, you know, things like that. And you don't really take time to understand is this ruling coming from a divine place? Are you trying to mimic divinity? That's another important one, right? Are you trying to make me think that these are divine laws and codes for what you're trying to get me to do? Or is this really something that um, holds a, a, a celestial value and is a part of a celestial recipe that was given to me in order to maximize my own potential and to learn how to deal with the monot the monotony of human life and to ascend beyond that, you know, to be, to be one who can really actualize the passion that's been put into me and, and turn the things that I want to do or that I was made to do into a reality. Right. So obviously it, it takes a little bit of digging. Right. So. Um, I just wanted to intro before I gave the code and the law. I didn't want to just give it to you and not give you context because often that's the problem. <laughs> you know, we meet spiritualists. They just give us stuff to do and we think we should do it because we don't know any better. And we don't, you know, do, do, we don't do the knowledge. Like, how does this apply to me? What does this have to do with, with me? So for those who are Anu, and who follow that discipline and that way of being, then the laws that would be given to the progenitors or the laws that would be given to the ancient rulership who came through Anu would be fitting for them, right? So those statutes would make sense for them. And of course, it's from those statutes is where you what birth your Hebraic 
statutes, would birth your your Ten Commandments and your your biblical stories and your your books of Genesis and and or Bereshit and things like that, coming from older Mesopotamian, Akkadian, and most importantly Sumerian systems. You know, so uh, just like the book I wrote, grasping the root of divine power, it's always important for me personally to. I'm going to do something. I want to go to the root. You know, I'll, I'll study the, the leaves and the branches because it's great to see how things have evolved. But for me, it's also just as great and equally as important to see their origins and their beginnings because I also want to understand, um, if I'm getting something that's modified, I want to understand if I'm getting something that's perverted or something that's been politicized. For someone else's purposes, like I want to be clear, that's happening based on as much study as I as I can possibly do, which you know is that's also relevant. So when we look at the thirty the thirty second um, law of of um, Ur Namu, we see this. It says something. It's dealing with the cultivation of a farm or the cultivation of land. And it says, if a man let an arable fill to another man for cultivation, but he did not cultivate it, turning it into wasteland, he shall measure out three cur of barley per iku of field. Okay, so to I think it's, it's significant. So let me deal with some of the, the wording in case it, that was like a little confusing. <laughs> Um, so if a man let an arable fill to another man for cultivation to let something means to, to rent it. Okay. So, or, or to lease it. If I let it out to you, I leased it out to you. Right. So if a man leases an arable, an arable means, um, able to be, to be cultivated or, or, um, fertile. Right. So if a man leases a fertile piece of land to another man for the purposes of, of cultivating that land, but the, but that man did not, or the leasee did not cultivate it, but turns it into a wasteland. He shall measure out three cur of barley per equal fill. So meaning that if that fill was given to you in order to do something with it and you do nothing with it, then you will still pay, especially if you turned it into a wasteland because you didn't cultivate it. Mm. Because you didn't do what you're supposed to do and cultivate it and establish culture, it it becomes a wasteland. You know, if you do that, then you are still accountable for a payment to the person who gifted and best or or leased it to you, right? We'll, we'll, we'll use the proper terminology. So, I always thought that that was a that that was an interesting law as it pertains to follow through, of course, because sometimes we take on more than we really can. <laughs> I've seen people do that before uh, where they want to learn a, a particular skill or get better at something. So they'll say, okay, well, I'm going to jump in the deep end because it's going to force me to do this. You know, I remember there was a sister years ago who used to come by the house and she was always very impressed by the, the, the meals that, my consorts would make for the family, you know? And she said, Oh, can I start coming by 
uh, on over the, the strong end, basically, and cook with everyone. And I, you know, I said, well, why do you want to do that? She said, well, because I don't really cook much. I don't, you know, I'm not really that good at it. So I figure if I have to do it, if I'm here and I have to do it, it will force me to get better. So I said, you know, I said, well, no, <laughs> because, you know, you're not going to be up in here experimenting on, on me and my family. So that's, that's not going to happen. You know, if it's something that you really wanted to do, you can do it from your own home or you can have your own, uh, soul food Sundays or whatever. But, you know, the, the, the point I'm, I'm, I'm getting at here is that sometimes we, we take on things that we really don't feel um, a sincere compulsion to do and and then we try to force ourselves into it and it just it doesn't really um materialize into anything real as a result so that that creates a wasteland now whether it creates a wasteland inside of your your active life or whether it creates a wasteland inside of your psyche nonetheless it's not a passive thing where we say, um, okay, I've been given something that's fertile, let's say a mind, and it's been leased to me. What does it mean that it's been leased to me? Well, I'm going to live, I've been given a lifespan of about 120 years, and then I have to give this physicality back, right? When What's included in the physicality? Well, my brain, my arms, you know, my feet, my legs, all of these things that make up the vehicle that allow me to manifest. And... I don't do what I'm supposed to do. Therefore, turning myself into a wasteland. I'm a wasteland now. So now that I'm, I'm a wasteland, am I still held accountable? Or is it just like, Hey, that's just how it is. Yes. I'm held accountable. No different. If I was, if I leased a piece of land that was fertile and ready to go and I, I did nothing with it, I'm held accountable. You see, so the, the importance of follow through, it's, it's layered, you know, from energetic all the way up to a physical manifestation. And, um, to be able to actually get things done, right? Which is what we're talking about to get things done. It's not a, it's not a singular sort of thing. Like, you know, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to come over here and I'm going to, um, <laughs> I'm going to cook and now, you know, I'm getting it done. I'm knocking it out. You know, that's, that's just not, that's just not how it actually works. That's not the formula or the recipe. In order to actually complete things, we have to be persistent in whatever it is that we say that we're, we're seeking to do. You know, persistence is, is the key. You know, and no different than when Ur Namu and, you know, when he was able to create the codes that he, that he created, it obviously it called on a certain level of consistency, right? Um, oh, you know, you may not even care about this, but if anyone's curious, you know, one shekel equals 11 grams. So when you hear me using these different, um, these different measurements, you know, like one Mina is about one sixtieth, sixtieth of a talent and one. And so one Mina is about 60 shekels. Okay. So whether you care or not, <laughs> you know, but 
some people like the fun facts. You know, I don't know if you're ever going to be spending Mina. Maybe if you go back in time or shekels. But so when we're dealing with this ability to actually get things done, what we're looking at is our ability to be persistent. Um, we have to take action, right? So that's when we talk about the, the Eshe, you know, that Eshe region, whenever we talk about that in Ifa, or the legs, the Omo Eshe, the feet, you know, um, or the Owo, the hands, right? It's, it's how we're actually getting things done, you know, cause before that, everything is just a bunch of thoughts. And sometimes things may, if we're lucky, they may take shape in our heads, but they may, that may not translate itself into actual action, right? So you have to have persistence. You have to have action. Most importantly, where everything begins, which is where things take shape is focus, which I know. And, and again, uh, the environments that many of us live in where we have, we may have a lot of ambitions and we may not be aware of our level of talent. We may not. Um, be okay with expectations of possibly failing or possibly succeeding, whatever. These things, they may knock our focus out of whack, but you have to have focus. And then another key piece is discipline. And not just discipline because, um, you hired a trainer or because you're going to go to someone's house and, um, they, they prepare meals at a certain time. So now you have to do it, but it has to be self discipline. It, it has to be more of a didactic experience where you're able to say, these are the, these are the elements that I need to keep close to me and to keep happening. You know, so there has to be that persistence. There has to be that discipline. There has, or self-discipline. Let me say it in the right way. There has to be that focus and there has to be that action. And that's the recipe for getting it done. That's the recipe for what we call follow through, you know, or not turning what was given to you into a wasteland. And if any one of those things is missing, you will turn it into a wasteland. You will turn your your brain into a wasteland. You will turn your body into a wasteland. Whatever it is that you were leased and you were given for the purposes of something, you will turn it into a wasteland without those those constituents, without those components being present. You know, and it really all relates to your spiritual body, right? So if we think about focus, obviously we go to the eye. You know, you can't really, you can't really get around that, right? So through our inner eye, we're able to guide our thoughts into different directions, which again guides our actions into achieving those visions. But first we have to have an inner eye that sees the vision. You see? And, and that all, of course, exists within, within the head or within the ori. But that eye has to be, that has to be there. So it's, it's not just about trying to do things or, you know, where I put some effort into it or whatever. It's about making sure that my actions and my effort are towards the goal, that singular thing, that target that I've put my concentration on. So if I'm focused, there's never an energy that's wasted ever. If I'm focused, if I'm unfocused, I'm going to be wasting a lot of energy because I don't have a clear, um, I don't have a clear line of sight, if you will. There's no clear line of sight. So whatever I may be seeking to achieve 
is um, not necessarily directed or the actions that I take are not necessarily directed towards that goal or towards that target. And that's all going to come down to not being focused. So we may have a, a, a idea like sometimes in people have experienced this and I know I'll say, OK, you want to do this and that and that. What's your plan? And instead of a plan, they'll tell me a dream <laughs> or they'll tell me an idea. Right. And as a result, that that's not focused. You know, so you don't really know how you should structure your time. You don't really know how you should schedule activities because you, you haven't allowed yourself to focus in on a clear target. You haven't because if you can't focus in on a clear target, then you'll never be able to establish a plan. If it's all just based around, I want, well, I want to do this one day and I want to do that and I want to do that. You might even see yourself doing some of it, but then when certain questions are asked, it begins to fall apart quickly, right? So focus is where you, where you have to begin. And then again, we're just using our body, right? So we have our, our Kundalini, right? You know, we have that, that, that spinal ladder that we all have in inside of us or that caduceus staff, if you will. And that not only represents your character and your uprightness, but it also represents your ability to be disciplined or to be self-disciplined, right? Because it is your it is through your spine that you're able to kind of rest and control your head where your vision exists inside of. So if you don't have an erect or straight or strong spine, then your head is going to flop around and that flopping around is akin to you not being able to retain focus. Okay. Because the, the, the strength of your spine is synonymous with your ability to control yourself. If you can't control your spine, you can't control yourself. Right. So there'll be distractions. There'll be all kind of temptations that come into, into your world and, and come into your life. And you won't really be able to get things done because you're not able to regulate yourself. You can't control yourself. So if you can't regulate your feelings, if you can't regulate your thoughts, then you're never going to be able to regulate the actions and the energies towards the target that you're saying is meaningful, meaningful to you that you want to be able to accomplish and you want to be able to get done. So without that, that strength of spine or without that self-discipline, um, you won't be able to consistently put forth effort or put forth energy towards something that needs to get done. You see, you, so that's one of the, the key things. So your head is connected to your spine. It's a, it's a continuous line. So your focus has a continuous connection with your self-discipline. Just like this. So if, if you need like a, a more, you know, like I said, like a physical, Vision in the example, just look at your head and your spine, right? Head and spine is connected. So focus and vision is connected to self-discipline. You see, so if you're focused on what it is that you're supposed to get done and what you're supposed to do, then your self-discipline will become a very organic flow. It will follow organically, you see. And in the same instance, if you're disciplined, if you, if you are manifesting self-discipline, it becomes easier for you to focus on what you need to do without getting distracted or without falling into a slump, right? If you think about it, when someone's posture isn't upright, 
What do we say? Oh, stop slumping. You're slumping over or you're slumped over. You see? So the self-discipline is your ability to keep that erect spine, which keeps your, your vision or your head able to focus. So now you, you're able to resist, um, burning up time. You know, when you have moments where you can structure your time around things that you need to do, you won't, you know, you'll, you'll be more clear like, okay, this, when there's a time for productivity, when there's a time for rest and making sure that you're not losing the balance, obviously between the two, because leisure is important too. You know, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I think nowadays, unfortunately, there's so much talk around productivity and that goes back to, again, your Sumerian understandings and your Akkadian understandings and your Mesopotamian understanders understand. So it takes you right back to like, were we created to be a servant race or a slave race? Is that why we always doing, doing, doing that? You know, I mean, there's, there's some, there's some talks there we could have. And some of that stuff is internal. I knew talk, but, um, you know, little things would be shared when there's time, but so th- there's, there's nothing wrong with having that. But of course there, there has to be balance because if not, it becomes excessive and then your leisure and, and you're falling back or, you know, maybe you have, you, you like to smoke and get high or drink. That becomes your vice because it takes the place of, you know, pragmatic productivity, right? And it's, it's a lot of it happens on a subconscious level. So then when we go from there, then we have to deal with our, our eshe or our legs, which again in our Yoruba is struggle, you know, um, or your feet, your owo eshe. Now, why is your feet and your hands, or omo eshe, excuse me, and your owo, your hands? Why is this so important? Because when you now have your hands and your feet in it, you now have action. So that means that you're placing priority on your motions. You're placing priority on how you exert yourself. And it's not just about um, what I'm focusing on or even what I'm disciplined, but it's about now... I'm translating that into doing. I'm translating that into how I'm traveling from A to Z. You you see, so now I can start to see the realization of my targets, you know, because now I'm moving myself into proper direction. And it's through the ability to see that or to see that manifest and actually being able to observe it and measure it. I can start to see if my energy and my exertions, I can see how they, those evaluate against my actual targets or against my goals. Like, is this actually getting me to where I need to go? So it becomes a critical part of your recipe and obviously the realization of what it is that you want to do. And it keeps you from remaining or kind of getting stuck in just being abstract <laughs> or just being in the dreamland. You know, a great example of that is, and this, this may hit home or may not, I don't know. You know, this, there's this common thing now that people do when people are in distress. And I find it to be pretty disgusting. Um, someone could reach out to you or you reach out to them and you say, they say, Hey, what's up? What's going on? You say, I'm not doing too well. You know, I'm under the weather or I'm going through a bad time or, you know, someone just transition who I really care about. And they'll say things like sending you positive energy. 
<laughs> That's a Kenta. I pray for you. Like, what does it mean? And of course, because sometimes we're just so used to not being treated well by others. We don't ask questions like, what does that mean? You're sending me positive energy. What exactly does that mean? How exactly are you doing that? And have you ever measured the effects of that? Sending me positive energy. You know, there have been people who I've literally blocked out of my phone for saying that to me. Literally. You know, don't don't send me poetry if I'm telling you I'm in distress and you have feet and you have hands and you can put yourself into action. You're telling me that you have no interest in doing that. You know, now I know, like I said, this may hit and it may not. Some people may be listening and say, well, at least they're sending you something. At least they're saying something positive because sending positive energy, you know, energy has an effect. Just like if you send negative energy. Yeah, I know that. So let's get let's get beyond elementary school. Let's get beyond, you know, the rudiments and let's go, let's go a little, little further beyond that. We, we've learned certain phrases and certain terminology because collectively humanity has become so self-absorbed and so cruel and so insensitive that we, we mask that certain ways. You know, like we use a lot of emojis, we use exclamation marks and things like that. We have all these sterile ways to mimic the emotions of humanity and real people when there's really no real emotion or heart behind it. You see? So that's an example of, you could say, sending you positive energy, or you could say, hey, I can make some food for you. Do you need me to, I I can pick up your children from school or whatever. I could come by and clean up because it's hard to heal in a, in a dirty house. You know, I can wash your clothes because maybe your clothes are, you know, infected with whatever or whatever, or let's go for a walk in the park, whatever it is, or I'm going to call you and I'm going to listen and I'm going to talk you through this, but sending you positive energy. I hope that God's hand, you know, I pray that God's hand be upon you. Shut up. (laughs) Just shut up. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But remember, this is chief. So, you know, you're going to get it direct and real. And you know what I'm saying is true, right? Because it can be heartbreaking when people do that, when you're looking for something more and you're you're willing and hoping for something more and you get something like that back, you know? So heart is what? It's your will. You remember the recipe that, that I took? Yeah, it requires, you know, the focus. It requires self-discipline. It requires the action, but it, it, it also requires your ability to be persistent. Your persistency is a product of the will of the heart. It's your ability to stick to something, you know, to actually stick to something for an extended period of time, regardless of all of the things that you may come across that are trying to unstick you from what it is that you're actually doing or actually trying to pull you off. So when you have that, that level of resolution, to stay on a certain course of action, regardless of how many obstacles that may come up, come about without just acknowledging. Cause sometimes people get caught up in, I tried, I started, you know, sometimes I'm talking to people even in, in like sessions and I'll say, well, well, chief, what do I need to do? You need to do A, B, C, and D. Well, yeah, yeah. I already kind of knew that because I started out 
with that, that that's not what I just said. I didn't say you need to start it. I said you need to do it. And a lot of times we get caught up in the start and we think the start is actually the doing without understanding that it's the persistency of sticking with something until it's done that validates it. Cause that's, that's having enough heart. That's having enough will to keep pushing regardless of whatever set, setbacks may have come, regardless of, regardless of whatever obstructions came, whatever obstacles, whatever came to try to deter and distract you from whatever it is that you're doing, but not just saying, okay, I'm going to sprint, but I'm going to understand that this is not a sprint. It's a, it's a marathon, you know, so I, I have to have a heart that's strong enough to go through a marathon. You know, that takes training, you know, to start and stop. Yeah. Let me run as fast as I can. So I can't run anymore. Okay. I'm sprinting. All right. That takes a different kind of muscularity than a long range marathon. You know, where you're not able to stop halfway through it, you know, and you, you're not necessarily going to give up before you reach the finish line or pass something off to someone else and let, the, let them finish yourself. So you really don't know your degree of, of persistency until you've hit a couple of detours, until you've hit a couple of hard walls. You know, or if you're in the mar, if you've tripped and fell while you were running around the, the track or running along, along the, tr- the, the trail, you really don't know if you'll really have the ability to stick to it. You know, so it requires more than just the start. It requires more than just, just the, the try. And the, the truth is when you really go through it, it can be a very gratifying sort of experience, you know, when you say, man, I, I, I focused on this. I had the discipline to not be distracted. I put my hand to the work or my hand to the plow, my feet to the work, you know, and I had to, I put my heart into it where I was persistent with this. And I combined all of these necessary elements and I pulled them all together in order to watch or, or yeah, watch this vision become a reality you see and a lot of times it's difficult for for folks to get to that place because we have all of these different psychological blocks that we've put inside of our our heads that keep us from actually getting things done or we have these different tactics that we utilize to inhibit ourselves from from progress and often it, it these tactics you know they're not um they're not conscious per se, but we just find ways to misuse our energy. We find ways to misuse our time. You know, one of my consoles years ago, I used to have to tell her about, she got, she's much better at it now. We work through it, but she used to, whenever it was time to do something, right? Something she didn't want to do, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it just, whatever she didn't feel like doing. The first thing she would do is, start asking people if they want something to eat. You know, it's the very first thing. You hungry? You know what? I'm going to make you something to eat. She'd get up from where she's going, go into the kitchen, you know, and I'd have to say, listen, don't, no one say they want anything. No, she's going to sit, you know, so it had to be like, no, we don't want anything. So she said, oh, well, I'm going to make myself some tea, (laughs) you know, and then once the tea is being made and you're looking out the window, now you're outside, 
picking herbs and once you're outside and, you know, you just misusing time into not, oh, wow, it's this time I need to go get this started. I need to go do this now, you know. So there's these different tactics that a lot of us use to keep us from doing things. But some it's just it's we might indulge in, in our temptations. Our distractions could be YouTube or social media, you know, things like that. Or we subconsciously um, mismanage our time. So that way we don't really maximize our energy towards our productivity. You know, we may um, just set goals that make no sense. We set bad goals on purpose. You know, I've seen that very often. You know, when people, again, come to me for counseling or whatever. Oh, what do you want to do? And they'll come up with some idea that makes no sense. It's nowhere near where their capacity is or what they've ever been able to do. You know, and they just set a bad gut, a bad goal to intentionally keep themselves from getting done what they say they're going to do. So they handicap themselves right from the beginning, you know, by setting something that's either impossible or just so abstract that it makes no sense. And no one can really, um, no one can really qualify, you know, them for what they're doing. It's like, if you are going to take a family trip to the grand Canyon, and I mean, you have to have a guide, obviously, but you hire a guide who's not official and um, they're inebriated and they're looking at the map and the map, they're holding it upside down. And you say, all right, let's go. Time to go. You know, so now, you know, from the from the onset that like you've prevented yourself from being able to get proper directions because they're skewed and they're confusing. So now when someone else comes along and says, well, where are you? Where are you at? Give me your location. You can't even give a clear location. And you did that on purpose. You see, and the more you, you do it or the more you interact with people, it, the more obvious, like you could tell within 15 seconds if someone's doing that. Sometimes you could tell by their body language. Oh, you wanted to do this. You wanted to open up your own salon or you, you wanted to start your own business. Where are you with that? Oh, well, um, okay. See, they'll start telling you some long, confusing story that has nothing to do with the question you just asked. That's one of the clues that they purposely, you know, and again, it's a subconscious thing, but they set a goal that was so abstract that they were able to lose themselves inside of it and never really discover the order of what needed to be done because, or the goal is just so impossible to achieve that whether they follow through to try to make it happen or not, it doesn't even matter. It makes no difference because, you know, they're waiting for someone to save them from following through. You see, I know somebody used to do that all the time. They would set unrealistic goals that make no sense. And then when you'd ask them about them and you say, wait a minute, you want to do this and that? And they say, yeah, you're right. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you're right. So they would pretend to be rescued from their own calamity. And if you could just stand there silent enough and wait, listen for what they're going to say next. Like, okay, yeah, that doesn't make any sense, but what's the next thing? But that's all they wanted. They wanted you, they wanted to set this goal that was so unrealistic and so high that it was out of the reach <laughs> of, of, of a human, you know? Um, and there's no ladder, if you would, that be, would be able to, to reach that, that high. And, in that, no one can accuse them of not trying to do something. I tried. You know, I, I tried to do this, you know, um, 
But there was no ladder. There was no rung or anything that I could climb to get there in the first place. So in that, now they don't have the guilt of not following through. Well, I tried. I tried to follow through, but couldn't make it. Logistically, it just it just couldn't happen, <laughs> you know. So um, that's an example of sometimes some of the tactics that we put in our way. Procrastination is is a is a huge one sometimes that we get caught up in because um, we just find really gifted and talented ways to delay what it is that we're supposed to do until we absolutely need to do it at the last minute. And then we convince ourselves and we convince other people that we're working even when we're not, you know, some, some of the ways that we convince ourselves that we're working is just by incessant planning. You're constantly planning, 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 planning every single little tiny detail and then constantly revising the plan, you know, revising the task. Oh, I got to throw this out. This isn't going to work. We scrap it. We throw it out. Let me try it this way. Let me try it that way. You know, and what we're, we're doing is we're, we're doing what's called productive procrastination. You know, and productive procrastination is when we feel like we're getting somewhere, but we're just, we're just running in place. We're just on a treadmill and, um, we're just trying to get, get away with putting it off (laughs) at the moment, you know, until we feel like it'll be more comfortable to do or easier to do, or there'll just be less stress associated with what we want to do. Um, and eventually it becomes this cage of never doing. You know, we end up locking ourselves into a, a sort of, of prison, if you will, you know, and it's just like the temptations that come and the distractions that will come that test our persistency. You know, um, there's a lot of things that glitter. You know, you drive along the road and you're trying to get somewhere. There's a lot of signs. Like imagine, you driving down Hollywood Hollywood Boulevard, you driving down the Vegas Strip, you know, you driving down Broadway in Manhattan. There's there's so many different things that you'll see, you know, you you're driving down um what is that? Ocean Oceanside, Sea Ocean Road in Miami. You know, South 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 Beach. There's so many things that are distracting, so many glittery things, so many bright neon things that say, "Hey, come over here." You know, take a rest over here, you know, um, and sometimes it's alerts on our phone, you know, and these alerts we know have the potential of flooding our um, brain with chemicals that feel good. You know, so as a result, we stay connected to our phones longer. We stay connected to staring out the window longer or looking at all the bright, glittery things longer because um the way it can make us feel, you know, constantly going through social media scrolls, just scrolling, 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 or just binging on certain, you know, uh, media material, YouTube or wherever, you know, um, and you can't get rid of t- the other temptation and distractions that are there. We just have to form, we manage it through different strategies of, of avoiding them <laughs> and learning how to moderately use certain things in a, in a healthy way. You know, that's, that's the way we kind of get around it. We don't necessarily need to deprive ourselves of those things that we find enjoyable or again, balancing our, our leisure activities and things like that. You know, we can give ourselves well-deserved breaks 
when they're well-deserved if we have had the discipline to indulge in certain activities in a healthy way. You know, like we may say, okay, I'm going to take a 15-minute break, and during that break, I'm going to go on social media, I'm going to watch a quick little four or five-minute video or whatever, you know, whatever it is, and then I'm going to get back to, to whatever, whatever I need to do in, in accomplishing the things that I set out to do. You know, so that's some of the ways that we, we kind of sabotage ourselves. And like I said, also with time management, just being poor with, with time management, you know, um, you know, when we find ourselves that in, in a place where we feel like there's not enough time to do things, but we're not really looking at our ability to use our time productively. You know, we, we all have the same amount of time, but learning how to practice to use it in a way that maximizes our efficiency, you know, and this requires us to schedule our tasks. This retire requires us to be good judges of, you know, recognizing when something is done, move on, <laughs> go to, go, go to the next thing and having the self-discipline to be able to do the tasks at a time that we plan them and to focus on how we organize our resources properly to get certain things done and to schedule things cleverly, you know, in a way so that things get done as planned. But when we, when we don't do that, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of lack of focus, you know, there's a lack of organization. We overlook things. We miscalculate our tasks and how, how much time it's going to take to get them done. And that creates like this snowball effect. You know, it, one thing makes another thing feel, oh, man, I didn't plan this right. I didn't have this, the discipline I needed to get this done, you know, and we don't foresee what resources may be needed for whatever activities we're doing. That leads to delays. Then that leads to cancellations. We're always showing up places late because we had to stop and go pick up this. We didn't prioritize what we're doing. So instead of doing things that are non-essential, you know, um, or things that are that may lead to something that's not going to be <laughs> successful anyway. You know, we, we end up doing those sort of things and it creates such a challenge to our ability to maintain balance in our life. You know, especially when we have, um, such trouble just finding the place to fit everything we want to do in our 24 hours. And we have poor time management on our backs. You know, and that's become just the norm for people, really, honestly. But we have that. And then, you know, we're trying to fit so many different things in. And then we have lifestyle demands. And we start to feel like in order to be good with our time, we have to possess some sort of superpower. And that's not necessarily true. It's not true at all. Right. And it, one of the things that I also spoke about, which becomes an, a, a challenge, is some of the psychological roadblocks that we have. Like many people are fear of, are, are in fear of how they'll be judged if they try to do a particular thing or if they'll be rejected or um they just lack self-awareness, you know, really. And, and have this sense of it needs to be perfect, perfect out of their own insecurities, you know? So sometimes it's also even just laziness and their discipline is lacking. So the laziness then hinders them from getting up and doing what the important things they need to, to get done. You know, and without that discipline, you'll start squandering time, you know, and you'll start giving your time to your temptations 
to your distractions. And you may have things on your to-do list. You may have things written down on your scrap paper or on your calendar, but you lack the willpower and the discipline to, to push, to push through. You know, um, you see the sacrifices that you need to make to make things happen, but psychologically you start telling yourself it's not worth the sacrifice. You know, so your heart becomes the energy that activates your body while your self-discipline focuses and directs that energy so that you're constantly moving towards what you're supposed to be doing. And if you don't find a method to turn that heart power or that willpower, that persistency and, and your, your spine and activate it and turn that discipline on, then your bodies will continue to just be inactive and you'll become that physical wasteland. You'll become that cerebral or that mental wasteland, you know, because you didn't cultivate, you know, having that fear of judgment is, is, is a huge thing. You know, um, you start shutting yourself down and hesitating before you even get the ball rolling. You know, what if I do this man and nobody shows up? <laughs> what if I put this out there, this class and nobody signs up for my class? What if I just flop? You know, what if I end up, um, investing more money than I, than I earn, you know, all these different things start to kind of go through your head and, um, you start to see not putting action to what you say you want to do is a, is actually an act of self-preservation, you know, because you're saving yourself from pain. You're saving yourself from, from failure. You're saving yourself from rejection. Like if I never asked you, you can't reject me, you know, um, so you never go after your target. So that way no one can say you failed at going after you, after your target, you know? And then, like I said, the fear of judgment often is something that paralyzes people from going through what they need to go through. So if I, if I don't, if I don't commit any action, then I, I, um, void the possibility of producing anything that someone could evaluate. And if I can't be evaluated or if I can't be judged, or scrutinize that I can't be rejected. So I'm not even going to try to go for it, especially if it's something that I, that I know is going to be a challenge. You know, that way I, I, I can't fail. You see, but that's a very, um, maligned kind of reasoning, you know, that by not acting, then I don't create or I don't manifest or don't follow through. I've already judged myself. I have already rejected myself before I even started. No one else needed to judge or reject me. I already did it myself. So I've already failed the moment I said I'm not going to even try to do, you know. And like I said, sometimes we have this sense of perfectionism and that springs out of our out of our insecurities, you know. And, you know, we we don't understand that um, that sense of perfection always will lead to stagnation. You know, to the, to the outside world, it may seem like we're, we're busy doing what we need to do and striving and striving, but you know, and we're just like a busy bee, if you will. But the truth is we're just internally inhibited by this sense of perfection from, and that keeps us from actually following through, you see. And I, I think, you know, like I said, also the lack of self-awareness becomes a deep one because that becomes this psychic barrier against getting things done because we're so afraid of making mistakes and leaving our comfort zone that we never learn the fullness of what we could actually do. 
you know, we, we, we can never really become aware truly of ourselves as a result. So a lot of our passions and our talents, they just stay hidden. No one even knows. And not knowing our actual capacity is really turning ourselves into a wasteland because we've convinced ourselves, well, we ain't going to make it anyway. Even if I try, I'm not going to make it. So um, I'm not going to follow through what I said I was going to do. So you become trapped inside of a, a life journey that's based around stagnation. You've fallen into that trap and you lose your, your potential of self-awareness. You see, you continue just living a busy life, being a busy bee, and you're content with the idea that um, you couldn't actually be working any harder. Like I couldn't be doing more than what I'm doing right now. But if you were to remove the little bits of unpurposeful busy out of your life and then take a real look at what you're doing, you'd realize that you've been avoiding the thing that you need to do the entire time. You've been avoiding the actual matter, you know, and it takes courage, honestly, for the sake of our own happiness and for the sake of our, our own growth to consider how would our experience be in life if we actually cultivated the land? If we actually cultivated, if we started with enthusiasm and didn't end with excuses and explanations, sometimes we start excited and then we, we, our excitement is around how we're going to, uh, we, how we start anticipating what our alibis are going to be. You see, we don't even look past what's in front of us or or um we we only look for what's easy. We only we only look for what's convenient because we don't really want to know what's possible beyond where we're at because we're afraid that, you know, um it will take too much hard work to get us there. You see. So that's something I wanted to speak on, you know, having that focus, having that self-discipline, having the the action mindset and having the persistency is so important, you know, to get from A to B and, and just knowing that sometimes there are psychological roadblocks and, and inhibitions in the form of procrastination and, and indulging and, and laziness and a lack of discipline and fear of failure and fear of rejection or insecurities or just a lack of awareness. Um, and we can start looking at the things that do drive us to follow through. And what are the things that we want to finish that we've started and how we can remain in a place where we're in motion so we don't become those wastelands. All right. And it's, there's more to, obviously to this subject in, in terms of techniques and things, but I wanted to introduce the idea and the concept and also some of the things that may be going on in all of our psyches that we just haven't put a name to. And now that we can put a name to it, we can start to to fix it. You know, we could start to, to, to heal from it and recognize that there's going to be internal mo motivators to fix it. Um, there's going to be external motivators to fix it. And, but a lot of times our external mo motivators are really about avoiding the negative consequences. And we have to pay attention to that as well. Accountability groups, accountability partners are important. Um, sometimes even bribing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> bribing yourself like you're a child that also works as well you know holding your own carrot in front of your 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 own head or your own vision if you will um instead of just giving in to all the external motivators that um tell you to avoid the pain you know so that has been our segment i wanted to share that with you and um thank you for those who've rode along this far
All right. Um, and there's a couple things that I, I just wanted to share before we, we head out. We have another red wrap, uh, experience that we're working on. Again, some of you who've been with us a while, you're familiar with, with, uh, with red wrap, right? And just, just to give you a little quick background, um, red wrap is a, is an initiative that I came with up with some years ago. And essentially what we do is we provide uh, feminine hygiene products for women who are displaced, who may not, you know, who are unsheltered or what some, some may call homeless. All right. So we are now getting ready to bring in, um, our donations, you know, so if you want to donate, uh, for what we're doing, we're going to be doing an event on the 3rd of November. And we're going to be doing it in, um, in East Flatbush, uh, in, in Brooklyn. It's on this, uh, the East Flatbush village. It's on, so it's over there on Utica Avenue. And, um, you know, we'll be giving more instructions and stuff on the Anu Life Global Ministries webpage, which is anulifeglobal.org, anulifeglobal.org. So we'll be giving more, um, information on that. But just for anyone who wants to be a part of that, you know, and donate or whatever, uh, you could just start, if you want to start collecting your, your items now, we'll give you, um, informations after that. I'm um, information, excuse me, after that on, uh, what to do. And, uh, there'll be more information coming forth, but I just wanted to prepare you all for that. You know, now that things have opened up and become a little bit less erratic, we can start getting back on our, on more of our physical community work that we were doing before that we, we love to do, you know, but, Unfortunately, because of, you know, the things that have been happening since 2020, we weren't able to do everything in the same way, you know, that we were doing. But, yeah, we'll definitely be doing an event on the 3rd of November. So I just wanted to give you all, um, yeah, I just wanted to give you all the heads up for the Red Wrap work. All right. So, again, as always, um, if you want to send in questions, questions at chiefyuya.com questions at chiefyuya.com as i told you in the coming gregorian the format for the for these podcasts and the teachings are going to change um so one of the things one of the changes are is that i'll be uh taking your questions you know so if you want to send in questions you can start now questions at chiefyuya.com all right um and we'll read them on air and answer them on air. All right. So I just wanted to also put that out to you as, as well. Also, um, <laughs> for anyone who likes like, uh, this, this is a, this is a project that I did long time ago. Um, I think it was, I don't remember the date. I'm sorry. I think it was 2010, 2007. I want to say 2010. um, and I did like, uh, uh, my brother and I, it was like an inspirational slash spiritual slash even gospel, you could say, um, God spell, uh, project. And, um, I put it up recently, you know, like again, it's, as I spoke about before, I have a lot of the, I have a lot of stuff that I've worked on over the years and I am trying to make sure I don't become a wasteland and hide all of the talents that I may have, you know, for songwriting and, um, different things and for playing instruments and not just the music. I do other stuff to music as well, <laughs> you know, but, um, as some of you do know, right. 
So just really extending myself to my full capacity. One of the things that I've been doing is, yeah, just going through my hard drive and looking at all these old projects like, oh, man, I did this, did that. And just putting them out there, you know, whether people enjoy them or not, but just putting them out there. So this was one that uh, we did that was um, has has some some beautiful songs on there that you can listen to. And especially those of you who miss that gospel feel. I know some of you don't like to say it, but I could tell. <laughs> it's like once you become conscious, you can't admit that, like, I actually still like this particular one after the one. So, you know. The project has that feel, you know, so if you want to check it out, um, Jim's Norman, I'll put a link in the description and the name of the, the song, the name of the uh, album that we did was well, not an album, right? Not now, right? There's no more albums. That's how you know I did it a while ago, but the name of it is called Paradox. All right. And it's on all streaming platforms right now. It's also, also on Bandcamp as well. Jim's Norman Paradox, G-E-M-S-N-O. I R M A N paradox is P A R A D O X. All right. So I just wanted to, to make you all aware of that. Right. So you can enjoy that. There's some uplifting stuff on there that you might, that you might, might help you feel a little better if you need to feel a little better. All right. So that has been our segment. This is chief. Yuya. I'm signing out. Thank you all. Please remember to leave a review on the books and leave reviews on iTunes on the podcast. Thank you so very much. Peace.